Now, I was in the back of the room over here singing, and um, I felt like God was just kept nudging me. He was like, okay, set your notes aside, Brian. And I don't know why exactly. And he said, just kind of pull up a stool and talk. So you all are getting a little bit of a different message than first service. If you're in here first service, you're going to be like, yeah, that was a little bit different. Because um, I believe that in this room, there are decisions being made. Today is decision day, and we do this twice a year, usually sometime in the spring and sometime fall, early winter, where we ask you to consider making decisions. And when we say decisions, what I'm saying is like making steps of faith, making steps of commitment. And no matter where we're at in Jesus, all of us can make a step, right? I would say there's always something for us to say, you know what, I could take a step there, or I could take a step there, I could make a decision here. If we ever get to the point that we go, I'm good with God, and I don't have any more decisions to make, I'd be a little nervous to be in that spot of life. Because all of us, even your preacher sitting here and share this text today, it's, um, it speaks to me as well. Like, okay, Brian, what, what in your life do you need to take a step in? So I want you to open your Bibles to Mark chapter 8. And if uh, the screen doesn't exactly align with everything to go to, that's my fault. Because I went back there and told him, I said, hey, I'm throwing you a curveball. I'm going a little bit different direction. He said, okay, I'll follow the best I can. So um, just want us to look at this text. This text is so key to who we are in Christ and, and who we are as followers of Christ. And it's so key to those who are not in Christ either. So if you're here today and you're on that journey and you're like, I've been thinking about Jesus, I'm trying to understand what it means to be in Jesus, this text has a lot to do with that as well. And so this text here that we're going to look at has a lot to do no matter where you're at on a spectrum of faith, whether it's no faith and I'm thinking about it or I have some faith and it's growing or I've been in faith for a long time. The Scripture speaks to all of us no matter where we're at on that journey because I think God wants us to make decisions, steps of faith. So in Mark chapter 8, Jesus is with his disciples and in verse 30, let me start at verse 31. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. So Jesus is with his disciples, and he's like, listen, guys, here's what's going to be happening. I'm going to be arrested, I'm going to be killed, I'm going to be put on a cross, I'm going to go through beaten, being beaten, I'm going to go through scorn, I'm going to go through shame. This is coming right around the corner. And he's giving them that warning, like this is going to take place. And then Peter, bold Peter, you know, Peter's the one who cut the ear off of the men when they came to arrest him. He's like pulled out the sword ready to fight. Peter has enough guts in him to pull Jesus aside, and the Scripture says rebukes him. In other words, he's like telling Jesus, you're wrong. Could you imagine? Who of us would be that bold? Jesus, get over here. i got to talk to you. Jesus, you can't be talking all this silliness and all this craziness. There's no way this is going to happen to you. Quit talking like a fool. I mean, that's kind of the conversation. I mean, Peter is that bold that he would stop and pull Jesus aside and rebuke him and say, button up your lip. Quit speaking this kind of thing. 
In verse 33, but when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, and then he rebukes Peter. It's kind of like Peter saying, Jesus, shut your mouth. And Jesus looked at him, no, you shut your mouth. I'm in charge here. <laughs> he probably didn't say it that way. But that's, that's kind of what was going on. No, you, you, you quiet down now, Peter. I am Jesus. I've been listening to the Father. And I'm doing what my Father tells me to do. I'm not going to do what you tell me to do. I know you're one of the disciples and you think you got it all together and you're strong will, but no. I'm going to do what he tells me to do and not what you say. He says, get behind me, Satan. Maybe he did tell him to shut his mouth. I mean, he calls him Satan. Get behind me, Satan. You do not have in mind the things of God, but the things of earth. He's like, no, you're thinking about a worldly type idea, not about a godly type idea. And he's like, get behind me, Satan. He's not calling Peter Satan. He's saying Peter's being a mouthpiece for Satan because he's speaking out things that, that Satan would want to be spoken. But he's like, no, you get behind me because I am doing the will of God. And then he just, he just really gets really strong right here in verse 34. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples. Now notice, first Jesus was just the disciples, and then he calls the crowd along with his disciples. Now, he, well, I don't know how many are in the crowd, but think about who would have been in the crowd. Lawyers, teachers of the law, those of the Jewish sect, those who are of the Sadducees and the Pharisees, believers, unbelievers, questioning people, people who are probably going to be the ones who are going to be arresting Jesus. I mean, the crowd is quite a mixed people, along with the disciples, and he calls them all and says, now you all gather in here, I need to talk to you. So let's pretend we're in that setting. I'm going to assume that probably there's not the people in this room that says, I look forward to being part of the people who are going to arrest him. But put us in the crowd. And he says, now you gather in here. Let's talk. I got to talk to you. I got some important things to tell you just before I'm going to go through this beating and this mockery and this stoning and everything I'm going to go through. We got to chat. And look what he says. Now, these are the words of Jesus. If anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. If anyone... He doesn't say if some or if a few, if anyone would come after me. In other words, if anyone's going to make the decision to say, I'm going to be a follower of God, I'm going to be a follower of Jesus, if anyone's going to choose to do that, are we part of the anyone? We are, aren't we? If anyone, if any one of you sitting in this crowd, if any one of you right now, any of you that are the Jews, any of you that are Sadducees, any of you that are Pharisees, any of you that are, that are doubtful about my existence, if any one of you are going to come on this mission with me, if any one of you are going to do this, you must deny yourself. Take up your cross and follow me. You stop and wonder, what is he talking about? Take up my cross. Take up a cross. I mean, we, we, we hear take up a cross, and what do we think of many times? We think of take up a cross. Well, uh, I'm going to take up my cross. Uh, my job is my cross. It's a hard job. Or we're going to take up a cross. Well, okay, my marriage has been kind of rough. That's been my cross to bear, so to speak, and so I'm going to take up my cross and follow you. Or, or i got kids who are disobedient, and they're really hard to raise. And so a lot of times we think of things like that. Well, that's my cross. I'm taking up my cross. I'm taking up my financial pressure and struggles. Or, or my cross is, is sickness. It's health. It's cancer. It's something difficult. I'm taking up my cross. I'm going to follow Jesus. There's so much more going on here than that. 
He wasn't looking at people and saying, now you take up your cross and, you know, your marriage or your job or your... I, don't, I think there's just so much more that Jesus is saying because as we go on with the rest of the text of what he says here, um, verse 35, for whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me for the sake of the gospel will save it. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? For whoever wants to save his life will lose it. And that's a little bit confusing. Wait a minute. I want to save my life. What am I saving my life for? They're going to lose their life. What, what are you talking about? He's talking about a salvation issue. Anybody who wants to save their life, you want to live eternity with God, then you're going to lose your life. You're going to let go of what you think is the right way of doing things. If you want to save your life, you're going to let go of your life in order to find your life. You're going to let go of the way that you think it should be done in order to find the way that God wants it to be done is what he's saying if you're going to do that, if anyone come to me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me, for the gospel, will save it. What's the gospel? The message of Jesus. For whoever's going to let go of their life, what my, my wants are, when I let go of my wants for the sake of the gospel, for the kingdom message, for carrying the, the cross, the kingdom message, I'll be a proclaimer of the cross, the speaker of the cross, talking about Jesus. I'll do that, so I'll let go of what I want. Then I'll save it by speaking the gospel. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world, yet forfeit his soul? He's saying, listen, too many of you in the crowd are chasing after things of the world. Put us in that crowd now. We're in that crowd. What would the crowd be chasing after? Fame? I want to be noticed. Be chasing after maybe degrees? Oh, can I put some more degrees behind my name so they know that I'm a doctor of this, of this, of this, of this? They'd be chasing after the bank account. Well, I want to make sure that I have enough of my nest egg filled up and I'll make sure I'm having enough, enough of this, paying down all my debts, having enough money set aside. I've been chasing all that stuff. Oh, I got to make sure my kids are looking right. You know, my kids have got to do A, B, C, D, and E because in order for them to look good in our society, well, they were dealing with the same things that we're dealing with today. And they're chasing after all the stuff that the world has to offer. And Jesus is like, listen, you can go after all that worldly stuff that you want. You can go after all of it, but look what he says. What good is it for a man to gain the whole world yet forfeit his soul? He says, while you chase after all this, that stuff, do you realize you're forfeiting your soul, your eternity with God? Because you've not taken up the cross? Or what can a man gain in exchange for his soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful nation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes in his Father's glory with his holy angels. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful nation, I imagine the disciples, and this is just Brian's thinking about the story. I can't tell you this is written in there. I imagine the disciples got closer when he called the crowd together. The disciples maybe were like kind of front row. And I can imagine them looking down at the disciples. If any of you are ashamed of me, if any one of you are ashamed of me, and maybe his eyes peek a little bit further, if any of you are ashamed of me, then you're no worse than the sinners and those who are part of this adulterous world. If any one of you is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, he makes a comparison of the world being like adultery, this adulterous. Why would he say adulterous? Well, let's think about marriage for a moment and when adultery happens. Uh, a man who is married goes and finds another female friend that becomes a relationship. 
or a woman who is married goes and finds a man and it's an adulterous relationship. What's going on? Most of the time, what's going on is you start meeting a need of something that's not happening in my marriage. And for a little while, that feels good. Well, she doesn't talk a lot, but you talk a lot. She nags me to death, but you don't nag me to death. Or, wow, you're a really good-looking guy. Well, you got, you know, you got a six-pack, and I'm really enjoying the fellowship with you, and you're making good money, and my husband doesn't do all that. And it feels good for a little while, and so adultery starts to happen, and so you start pursuing some of the opposite relationship. All of a sudden, you're in a full-blown affair because it feels good. But after time, what happens? That wears off. It doesn't feel good anymore. It doesn't meet the need. We do the same thing with the world. Wow, that looks really fun that I can go do. Wow, that looks really good. I can go participate in. That's taking care of my heart. That's taking care of my stress, taking care of myself. And so we have adultery with the world, the things the world happens to have. And Jesus says that we have an adulterous and sinful world. Times have not changed. He's like, you're pursuing after this world, this adulterous type items that they look good for right now. They're going to fulfill you for right now. They're going to make you feel good for right now. But it's all going to wear off. And it's all going to come crashing down. And he says, quit chasing after all that stuff. The Son of Man will be ashamed of him when he comes to the Father's glory. If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous, sinful generation. So he's looking at his disciples, looking at the people in the crowd and saying, listen, are you ashamed for me or are you going to live for me? Are you willing to speak my name? Are you willing to stand up for me? Are you willing to do the things of God and live for God? Or are you just going to play the game? See, I think when we talk about Decision Sunday, a big question that we should all be wrestling with, am I really sold out for God or am I just kind of playing the game? So what do you mean by playing a game? Well, I show up to church and I look like a Christian. If By all means, everyone would look at me and they would think, well, there's a good person, they're a Christian. But when God looks at you, God says, man, there is just so much stuff you're just playing around with. You're saying you're a Christian in name, but not in action. Because what he's saying is if you're really a Christian, then you're going to live that. If anyone is ashamed of me in my words, in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of him. So if we're not ashamed, then we're willing to speak. If we're not ashamed, then we're willing to do. If we're not ashamed, then we're willing to live out our faith. Matter of fact, uh, Richard, go ahead and pull up the, the scripture. It talks about James. In James um, chapter 2, it says, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them? What good is it if you say, Well, I believe in Jesus. I believe in God. I believe in Him being my Savior. But there's no action behind that. Suppose a brother or sister without clothes or daily food, if one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it in the same way faith by itself is not accompanied by action is dead? That's what Jesus is saying here. He's like, listen, are you ashamed or are you going to live out your faith in a public way? Are you willing to proclaim, I believe in Jesus, I'm a follower of Jesus, I'm a servant of Jesus, I'm a disciple of Jesus. If anyone wants to take up their cross and follow me, then I am willing to lay down my life. In other words, it's not about what I want, it's what you want, Lord. How many times do we stop and go, well, I'm thinking about doing this for God, but I'm not sure if I can do that because I've got this and I've got that and I've got this and I've got that, and I'm not sure how. As soon as the word I gets in there, we have to stop ourselves and go, hold on a minute. What does it matter what I want? What does it matter what my desires are? I mean, stop and think about this for a moment. Go back to the garden. And Jesus having that prayer, 
the night before being arrested and going to go to the cross, and Jesus stops and talks to God, and he's like, Dad, I really am not sure about this death thing. Is there any other way that this cup, this pain, this suffering can be taken away? Is there another way to do it? That's when he's using I. I don't want to go through this, Dad. I don't want to go through the pain. I don't want to go through the suffering. That's not what I really want. And then he concludes that prayer with, but not my will, but what? Your will be done. So it may not be part of my plan, but God, if this is what you really want, then I'm really, then I'm really willing to do it. I'm willing to go through the pain. I'm willing to go through the suffering. That's what taking up the cross and following him is about. It's about getting the eye out of the way. It's not about, well, I, I had a rough marriage or, or my finances are struggling. I can take up my cross. That's just the burden I have to carry. Well, I'm dealing with the sickness. That's my burden. That's my cross. No, what it is, 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 is I, am I in charge or is he in charge? Am I the captain of the ship or is he the captain of the ship? Am, is he the president of my life? Is he the chairman of the board? See, what happens is we think we're the chairman. Well, I call all the shots. I make all the decisions. And then, God, I'll, I'll consult you some. But, God, if I don't like what I hear from you, then, you know, because I'm the president and I'm in charge, I'll make other decisions. What this is talking about is, God, here it is, God, you have all the, all the shots. I'm going to hand you the steering wheel of life. I'm going to give you the gavel. You're the judge. You're everything. And God, I am totally a servant of yours. And where you say to go, I'll go. You say jump, I jump. You say run, I run. You say quit, I quit. You say go, I go. You say spend, I spend. You say invest, I invest. You say go help this person, I go help that person. God, go get, God says go get involved in this ministry, I go get involved in that ministry. You know what I heard last week? Some on top of everyone who signed up and how excited I was, some of the conversations were, I'm just not sure if I have the time. I'm not sure how I'm going to do that. I'm not sure. And I just wanted to pull the scripture out and say, is it about you or is it about him and his mission? See, we've been laying out the last eight weeks God's mission for our church to help people find and follow Jesus. If we're really going to do that and we're going to do that effectively and we're going to do that all as God wants us to do, then the word I has to get out of the way. So if we're having a conversation out in the hallway or we, we're talking about ministry, if you say to me, well, pastor, I, if I stop you and go time out, it's because of this passage. Because Jesus said, get the eye out of the way. He says, take up your cross. It means take up your life and follow me. Take up your life and say, it's not my life. I'll lose it for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of the gospel. I'll let go all for you and your purposes. So I think there's some decisions to be made in this room today. Sometimes decisions can be made just sitting where you're at, and you're like, today, God, I draw a line in the sand. Today, I make some changes. Today, I start making some adjustments. And sometimes decisions need to be made public because that's what Jesus actually says here, if you're ashamed of me and my words. Or in James, he says that we should um, make our faith active. What good is it, my brother and sister, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Sometimes our deeds need to be shown before people. And so we're willing to stand up and say, I believe in Jesus. I'm going to take a step for Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. So I want to ask you some questions. I want to ask you to think about a couple of things. Remember, we started off with praying, and I consider this part of prayer. We're talking with God. We're hearing from His Word. Here's some questions of prayer that I think you should 
consider. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means losing some of your closest friends? I mean, are you willing to do some stuff for the Lord even if some of your closest friends think, man, you're crazy and out of your head? Are you willing to say, yeah, I'm kind of crazy and out of my head, but the Lord is calling me, the Lord is moving me. I'm going to do this because this is what the Lord wants in my life. And even though your friend, just like Peter, Peter what? He called Jesus aside and he started to rebuke him. Peter was one of Jesus' closest buddies. And Jesus looked right back at him and rebuked him and said, Satan, get away from me. Are you willing to, some friends, look at you and go, man, you're really kind of getting crazy over this Jesus thing. I knew you were a Christian, but boy, now you're doing all kinds of stuff for him. You're, you're nuts. Are you willing to look at them and say, yeah, get behind me? Get behind me because I'm living 100% for him. Now, I love you, but this is where I'm going because I'm following where the Lord is leading me. Are you willing to lose from your closer friend? Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means alienation from your family? Are you willing to follow Jesus 100%, give it all to him, if that means your family's going to look at you and go, you're nuts. You say to your family, listen, I'm sorry I can't participate in that family gathering. I won't be at this family gathering. Why? Because I've got some stuff that I'm doing for, for the Lord and for his work. You're what? Yeah, I'm serving the Lord. And so this stuff's even more important than this family gathering and the family get-together. And they're going to maybe get mad at you or get upset at you and go, wait a minute. But our family, yeah, I love our family. I love my mom. I love my dad. But I'm willing to let go of all that stuff because I love Jesus more. Let me talk to moms and dads for a moment in here. And I'm allowed to say this because I'm a parent myself with three teenagers. Well, two teenagers now, one just got out of the teen years. We have a, we have a challenge going on in the, in the church today that's a, become an epidemic that, that we have to start addressing and talking about at Centerpoint, and we have to start figuring out how we're going to address this issue. There is a great shortage, I mean, a dramatic shortage of preachers and youth ministers and worship leaders and missionaries of people who are giving their life out for Jesus. And an elders meeting not long ago, I don't know how we got on topic, I just kind of laughed and I said, yeah, you all could fire me. I mean, there's 100 jobs waiting for tomorrow because there's such a shortage of, of the need of preachers, such a shortage of people who say, I'm going to be youth ministers, such a shortage of people who say, I'm going to be a worship leader, such a shortage of people who are going to be missionaries. And you know where a lot of that's happening at? with moms and dads who are discouraging their kids from selling out their life for ministry. And sometimes parents go, oh, I, I would never do that. No, not purposely. But what we do is, where are you going to go to college? What are you going to pursue? Okay, you're going to be a doctor? Oh, you're going to be a lawyer? Oh, you want to be this? Oh, you want to be that? Good, let's chase after all of these different kinds of things. And we don't say to them, have you ever thought about going to ministry? Have you ever thought about going and getting trained to be a preacher? Have you ever thought about going and trained to become a missionary? Have you ever thought about just going and spending a semester or two at Bible college and just seeing what does God have for you? I'm thankful to this day when I look back when I was 18 years old. I had graduated from high school. I was at a CIY conference, Christ and Youth Conference. We sent our teens to those kinds of things, and there's moments in that where it's like God's going to hold your heart, and God got to hold my heart and said, I want you to go to Bible college. I went home and I told my mom and dad, hey, I think I'm going to Bible college. Now, that was like July, and school starting in August, early September, right? And mom and dad could have freaked out. What do you mean going to Bible college? There's no way you're going to Bible college. You're not going to make any money. Well, you know what mom and dad did? They said, you don't have any money in the bank, Brian. I said, I know. He said, how are you going to do that? I said, I don't know. And they said, we don't have the money to pay for it. I said, I know. And they said, well, apply, and let's just see what happens. And I applied. 
And God started unfolding that one thing after another thing after another thing to make it to Bible college and spend the first semester. I went to Bible college with the thought of just saying, I'm not sure why I'm here exactly, but I'm here because I think God wants me here. I went out of state to a four-year private institution with zero dollars in a bank, graduated four years later, and I had only $8,000 of student loans. There's no way for that to happen unless God gets involved. But it started with a mom and dad sitting underneath a maple tree in the backyard who said, if you think God wants you to do that, we'll support you and we'll encourage you. Let's just go for it and see what happens. Moms and dads, it starts with you. We need you looking at your children and praying over them and going, is ministry in your future? I mean, I know we've been talking about you being a lawyer. I know we've been talking about you going and doing A, B, or C, or D, but maybe we need to think about ministry. Are we willing to sacrifice family for the gospel? That's meant a, a change in my life. That, that, that means that I don't go home very often. That means through the years, sometimes there's some hard conversations. Hey, Brian, we're doing this with family. I'm sorry, I can't be at the family reunion. I'm committed to the ministry. I'm sorry, I can't be there. It's been hard, some hard conversations through the years. So I'm going to ask, are you willing, if it means alienation or sacrificing family, to say, I'm willing to do it. I'm willing to go where Jesus wants me to go. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it means a loss of your reputation? Well, but people on my baseball team or softball team know me as this, or people in the league know me as this, or people at work, they know me as this. And if I go and I really get sold out for God, then, man, my reputation is going to be affected. So, are you really willing to do that and be sold out for him? Are you willing to follow Jesus? It means losing your job. You know, people say, I've thought about starting this Bible study at, church, at my job, but I'm not sure if I could do that. You know, I'm not sure how I would do that. I might lose my job. Or I can't speak Jesus because of this, because of that. Or I can't share Jesus because of this, because of that. I might get fired. So, you have enough faith to say, you know what? I'm going to figure out how to speak Jesus in my workplace. If I get fired, I'm going to trust that he has something else planned for me. Are you willing to follow Jesus if it even means losing your life? Francis Chan, not sure if any of you know who he is. He's a preacher and had a great influence in Christianity over the last 20, 25 years. Uh, several years ago, walked away from his mega church, and now he's been ministering in California. And here this week, it's come out that uh, him and his family went to a third world country and saw the poor and saw the brokenness and saw what was going on and they were sharing Jesus and people were just so hungry for it. Came home, talked to his kids and said, it's time to move. And they're moving to this third world country. They said, it's time because the Lord moved him. Said, it's just time to go to an area that is a difficult area for the gospel. And God nudges you and says, hey, husband or hey, wife, it's time. We need to pack up and we need to go. Willing to do that? Adventurers say most of the time we, we kind of hold back. Let me speak to some of you all that are facing retirement. Kind of pick on parents with kids. Let me pick on the other side of the spectrum. Some of us, all we think about is I want to make so much money for now so I can plan for retirement so I can retire at 62 or 65 or whatever and retire. I can't, look for, I can't wait for those days because I retire. I'm going to be on the golf course. I'm going to be vacationing. I'm going to be doing all this other kinds of stuff. Do you realize when you're retired, if you have your health, that can be your greatest years of ministry? 
It could be such great years that you plan for retirement. So you know what, God, you blessed me with this business. I'm going to do this right now. But when I get to the age of retirement, I'm so glad I'll be able to serve you so faithfully. I don't want to take any kind of income from anybody. And I'm going to invest all my extra time and all my extra energies into God and his kingdom. We have some people around this church that are taking that kind of mindset. It just fires me up to see retired people who are like, where can I serve? What can I do? I've got the time. I've got the energy. I'm going to love people in my city. I'm going to be involved. I'm going to just live for Jesus in my retirement years. What a dream that would be. Instead of dreaming about all the vacations and all the extra stuff, I'm just going to live now so that when I retire, I'm just going to invest my life to Jesus. That's what he's talking about in this passage. My life is not my life. My life belongs to the Lord. And so there's some decisions to be made today. And like I said, we do this twice a year because I just think it's good for us to take steps of faith. There's a card that is on your chair. I encourage you to pick up a card that's on your chair, and it says Decision, November 2019. It looks like this. Pick up one of these cards and have that in your hand. If you need a card because you don't see one, Tim Curtis has some. Just raise your hand and he'll bring them around to you if there's not one by your chair. Anybody, anybody need a card? Your wife needs a card, Tim. You got to make sure she's ready to make big decisions. She's moving you to China next week. Okay? Anybody else need a card? All right. This is good to think about decisions. It's just taking steps of faith. There might be someone in this room that needs to take a step of faith to surrender your life to Jesus. It might be your first Sunday here. Maybe you've been coming for several Sundays. And you're like, I see the call. The call is I let go of everything and I follow him and let him be my leader. I see that he gave his life for me. He died for me and I want to live for him. And you want to surrender your life to him. You want to make him your Lord and Savior. And then follow in Christian baptism. We're going to have a few people in just a moment standing at the foot of that cross. And I'll be over at the foot of the cross as well to help you make a faith decision, a surrendering decision, a putting God first type decision. You'd mark that off and bring that card with you and we'll help you in that journey. Maybe it's a decision of membership class. I've attended, I attended membership class and I want to be a partner. We always ask people to come to membership class before they become a partner, but you say, I want to become a member. I haven't made the class. Then come over there. Let's talk. We'll help you in that journey. We're not going to worry about a class being in a way. We'll We'll work around that and figure that out. But you say, I want to be a partner. We like the word partner because that means I'm, I'm, I'm jumping in the game. And I'm going to find my place to serve, and we're going to work together at this. And so for some, it's just making this your church. This is where I'm going to serve faithfully. For some, it's a, I want to make a recommitment to my walk in Christ. I want to make a recommitment. I mean, I made a commitment to Jesus some time ago. I believe in Jesus, but now I'm hearing what you're talking about, and I'm nowhere near that. I've wandered away. I've, I've, I've drifted this way, but I need to get back over in the right path. I need to get back in the right direction. And so I'm making a recommitment to my walk. You know, there's something about a public recommitment that brings accountability to you. You can do that sitting in your chair, but there's something about when you stand before other people and say, I'm making a new commitment. I'm making a recommitment to my walk. Then some other people come along and they pray with you, they encourage you, and they check in with you periodically say, hey, how's that recommitment doing that you made in church a few weeks ago or a few months ago? For some, it's a decision, I just need some prayer or something going on in my life. I need some people to pray for me. I'm going to trust someone to do that. For others, maybe it's, it's I'm making a different kind of decision, but I want to make it a public decision because I want the church to know there's good that takes place when we publicly profess. As he said, are you ashamed of me or do you want to live for me? 
and we publicly say, I'm not ashamed, I want to live for him, there's some good things that happen. So our band's going to come out and lead us in some worship, and this room becomes a room of decision-making. You can uh, make a decision today, as many do every single week, to get up and to move to communion. That's a decision. And what you're saying is, I'm participating in communion because I believe in the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus. I'm a follower of His, and I believe that my sin is done away with at the cross, and that's a decision. When you partake in communion, I encourage you don't partake lightly. Scripture tells us to make sure that we don't uh, take um, in an unworthy manner. And so you pray and say, Lord, what's going on in my life? I need to kind of honor you with and make a change or make an adjustment or make a confession. It's a decision to bring an offering. It's a decision to say, I'm going to give and make an offering part of my life. And we encourage you to do that. And it's a decision then to go to the cross with one of these type of decisions or something else. We have, we have four or five families come first service. I'll share that with you after, um, after we have this time. But I want to encourage you as we worship to move the communion stations. If you're making a decision, then move to the cross, and we'll be there to help you in that decision. Then we'll share publicly, publicly together of some decisions that are being made in this room today. Let's continue in prayer this morning. Father God.